up, a lovely slice of velvet-draped Victorian mystery with a plucky heroine. A book that asks, is Western civilization prattle and poppycock? Plus our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. This week, I'm excited to read The Tumbling Girl by Bridget Walsh. It's a murder mystery set in the world of Victorian theater. Specifically, the fictional music hall called the Variety Palace in London, where our heroine Minnie writes sketches and songs for the shows. When her best friend, an actress, is murdered, Minnie's determined to find her killer. So she teams up with a retired boxer-turned-private investigator to find the truth. His name is Albert, and he's been dubbed the champion of the laboring classes, a gentleman detective whose mission is to help those who cannot help themselves. From what I've seen of Victorian theater, I don't need to see any of it, but it would be delightful to be backstage. (laughs) Strong agree. Along the way to the truth, our heroes encounter another murder and run afoul of the police and a villain known as the Hairpin Killer. I was lucky to get my hands on an advanced copy of this book from Gallic Books, and I read the first chapter to see what's what, and I was immediately transported to 19th century London. The action starts in the theater. It's lit by gaslight and chandeliers filled with candles. It's decorated with paintings of exotic landscapes and world capitals like Paris, Rome, Geneva. There are gilt-framed mirrors. And everything is painted a tacky pink and gold because the owner heard somewhere that pink encouraged people to drink more. (laughs) The book is filled with nice evocative details like that. In another scene, a questionable character is picking up a lady of the night, and I felt like I could smell the dank odor of the Thames and hear the rats scrabbling on the cobblestones. What do you think it says about me that when we go to London, I want it to be sunny, but when I read books set in London, I want them to be really foggy and spooky? I think London wears all weathers well, but I do enjoy a nice sunny day in London. It's true. If a trip to 19th century London with a saucy heroine sounds like your kind of thing, get your hands on The Tumbling Girl by Bridget Walsh. There's a new history book on my TPR. It's called The West, A New History in 14 Lives by Nisha McSweeney. McSweeney is a classical archaeologist and an ancient historian. She's a professor at the University of Vienna. She has two main points in the book. The first is that the standard Western civilization story that most of us were taught, that our culture has descended somehow from the Greeks and the Romans and through the Renaissance and Enlightenment from Plato to NATO, that whole thread is malarkey. What? Yep. Everything you know about Western civilization might need to be corrected. Western and, quote, non-Western cultures have talked and interacted with each other throughout history. And second, she presents the idea that the way we tell this story is a political act. Maybe not an overt top hat and handlebar mustache political act, but still, maybe we should reconsider how we think about who we are. Max Winnie presents her ideas through the lives of 14 people. She starts with an ancient Greek historian and runs through the lives of many people I did not know. Royalty, philosophers, a poet, an ex-slave. The Guardian called it clever and thought-provoking and said it leaves us with a richer, fuller understanding of epochs, worldviews, and fascinating individuals from the past. It's The West, A New History in 14 Lives by Nisha McSweeney. And now our distraction of the week. Today, I want to take us back to the spring of 1917. Okay. 
It was a significant time for the United States because that's when the U.S. declared war against the German Empire and entered World War I. That's also the year before the Spanish flu pandemic. Mm. But there was also important cultural stuff going on. The first commercial jazz recording was released. That was a song called The Livery Stable Blues by the original Dixieland Jazz Band. The Seattle Metropolitan's hockey team became the first U.S. team to win the Stanley Cup. And relevant to our interests, the first Pulitzer Prizes were awarded. The Pulitzer Prize was established by legendary newspaper man Joseph Pulitzer. Yeah. He owned the New York world, and he went head-to-head against William Randolph Hearst and his New York journal. They were bitter rivals. They poached staff from each other, they had pricing wars, and they tried to out-news each other, which led to a lot of yellow journalism. I covered all of this in our newsroom episode of our Strong Sense of Play show, if you want to go back and listen to that. I remember in that episode developing an opinion about Pulitzer over Hearst. 100%. Eventually, Pulitzer regretted his yellow journalism days, and he did a lot to try to make up for it. He established the first graduate program in journalism at Columbia University, and he set up the prize that bears his name. Each year, the Pulitzer Prize honors the best works in journalism, literature, and music in the United States. Yeah. Back in 1917, the first year the prizes were awarded, four prizes were given, two for books and two for journalism. The winning books were A History of the Relations Between the U.S. and France up to that point. Mm. Doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but it is available on the Internet Archive if you want to tackle that for some reason. Yeah. And The Biography of Julia Ward Howe. Her name might not be familiar to you but she's the American author and poet who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. She was also a suffragist and a magazine editor. And in a big moment of aww, her children collaborated on her biography that won the Pulitzer. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I do encourage you to visit her Wikipedia page to see her photo. She is the personification of the word formidable in a white lace bonnet. On the journalism side... The first winners were an editorial published in the New York Tribune on the first anniversary of the sinking of the Lusitania. The listing on the Pulitzer website says, no author named, which I just find so poignant. Like this person won a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. And their name is lost to time. Yeah. The other winner was Herbert Baird Swope of New York World for a series of articles he wrote called Inside the German Empire. Those articles became the basis for a book of the same name. And now I have to take you down the rabbit hole of the things I learned about Mr. Herbert Bayard Swope. Oh, all right. Because he seems to have been one of those larger-than-life early 20th century characters. He's credited with coining the phrase Cold War. Oh, all right. He wrote a speech for a political advisor in 1947 that included the line, Let us not be deceived. We are today in the midst of a Cold War. He was also a skilled poker player. He played a legendary game in Palm Beach in 1923 with an oil baron, a steel magnet, and Florence Zigfield of the Zigfield Follies. And Swopes won $470,000. Oh my goodness. Which in today's money is about $8 million. <laughs> That's amazing. He also loved croquet and was inducted into the Croquet Hall of Fame. You don't normally picture those two hobbies together. <laughs> you really don't. Speechwriter and the poker thing, that makes sense. The croquet thing, I guess early early 20th century, maybe that's a 
It's an excuse to be out in your lawn, I guess. Chatting it up with the guys, precursor mm-hmm. to golf. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, he had a mansion in Long Island, New York, that sounds like something straight out of The Great Gatsby. You approached the house by a circular driveway lined with trees. Yep. And the back of the house faced a broad lawn that sloped down to a private beach. When he bought the mansion in 1928, it got a write-up in Time magazine. Wow. Guests at his glamorous parties included the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier, Albert Einstein, Dorothy Parker, and F. Scott Fitzgerald. He was friends with the people who were in the Algonquin Roundtable, but was not part of the Algonquin Roundtable, although he did play poker in their Saturday night game. Swope died in 1958 when he was 76. Near the end of his life, he said about his career and his gambling hobbies, I think I've just about broken even, but I've had a hell of a lot of fun doing it. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more about the books we discussed and lots of links about the Pulitzer Prize and its winners. And I'll include links to all of the Pulitzer Prize winning books we've covered on Strong Sense of Place. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon.